History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Spooktacular people, welcome to History Goes Bump. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. We are coming to you from the road. We are on road trip 2017, and we just left Natchez, Mississippi, and we're on our way to Houston right now. We thought we'd record a little bit for you guys while we were on the road. Denise, what'd you think of Natchez? Wow, it was an amazing city. What was your favorite thing? I think the Natchez Trace Parkway. I would have to say Natchez City Cemetery was my favorite place. Okay, I wasn't thinking. That was pretty super cool, too, so it's a tie. She likes her nature and her headstone, so there you go. Well, death is natural. On our first night in Natchez, we went on a ghost tour with downtown Carla Brown. We had a great time. It was a lot of history, a little bit of ghosties. And then we got to go into two locations as well. Now, one of the really cool legends about Natchez that we're going to share with you is the Devil's Punch Bowl. And no, it's not cyanide-laced Kool-Aid we're talking about. The Devil's Punch Bowl is about a 200-foot-high bluff, and it's on the east side of the Mississippi River. And it's a weird indentation that kind of makes an inverted conical shape, and you can't really see to the bottom of it very well. And so for decades and decades, many, many years ago, they used to throw everything down into this, kind of like a bottomless well. We were told by downtown Carla Brown that one of the people that was thrown down there was a woman who had been murdered by, was she having an affair? I can't remember. But there was some guy who had killed a woman, and that's what he did with her body, threw it down into the devil's punch bowl. The reason why they think some weird stuff's going on there is originally it had started off as a Native American burial ground. One of the worst parts of the legend is apparently a Union commander stationed in Natchez enclosed over 20,000 freed slaves in the Devil's Punch Bowl, and thousands of them died there. Pirates and outlaws used to like to use the pit as a way to hide out. Just going back about the the freed slaves, we did find out that Natchez was the second largest slave trading that happened in the United States. Well, and to add on to that, uh, on the tour, we got to go to one of the slave markets areas there, and it still had some of the original chains. They had concreted them into the ground so that you could see what they had looked like. Some of the slaves would be brought over from Virginia via a boat, and it would go down and around Florida and then back up into the Natchez Bay there. But a lot of them had to walk from Richmond all the way to Natchez. And they had to do this while they not only had their hands chained to each other, their feet were chained to each other, and they were usually chained, the slaves were chained to each other, usually around their necks. So by the time they got to the market... 
they were sick and dying. So I don't know how that was a selling point. Doesn't make much sense to me. But just an awful, awful place that that was. Definitely not good energy there. And what Carla had shared with us, because she also has the notoriety of being somebody who walked across the United States of America. And she said since she had done a very, very long walk, because this was like a thousand miles, they would have to walk chained up. And since she had done a walk like that without chains, with a lot of support from communities and stuff, she said she couldn't even imagine making that walk the way that they had to come. Just a horrible story. Back with the Devil's Punch Bowl, the Hart Brothers, we mentioned in a couple of shows ago, a couple of episodes ago, I think we mentioned them. Well, they come up in this as well. Big Harp and Little Harp is what they were usually called. And this was another place that they used as a hideout. And it would said that after they had robbed and murdered the victims, they'd cut them open, filled their insides with large rocks, and then would heave their corpses into the punch bowl. And the water below that was pretty murky. So they just would sink away into the murky water. Now, there are reports of ghosts there. There are strange sounds, especially moans. Makes sense. And one of the ghosts that they believe is here at the punch bowl is the mistress of this outlaw who had killed her. His name was Joseph Thompson Hare. She was a lady of the evening, so she worked at one of the brothels. He goes away. He's doing some of his outlaw things, stealing. He comes back. He's bringing her some jewels, and he finds out that she's with another man. Now, she's a lady of the evening, so I think that's kind of supposed to be what she's supposed to do. But he had a deal with her that he would lavish her with everything that she wanted, as long as she remained faithful to him. Oh, I forgot that part, Denise. (laughs) Do you want to share what he did with the jewels when he came back and killed her? Well, he took all the jewels that he bestowed upon her, stuffed her corpse with them, and you got it. She went down the devil's punch bowl. So now for almost 200 years, so that took place 200 years ago, people claim to have seen the ghost of a beautiful woman, and she would offer them handfuls of gold and jewels. Somehow, I don't know if she would communicate this verbally or if they just assumed that's what she was asking. She wanted them to relocate her body to consecrated ground, to an appropriate burial place. But uh, nobody did move her body. Her body never was found, obviously, in the punch bowl. I don't think anybody's ever gone down there. It'd be a great place to excavate. I'm sure they'd find all kinds of stuff. So that was one of the really cool legends we heard there. We got to go outside of a lot of the antebellum mansions. We took great pictures. We've made some videos, so we're going to make some of those up for our executive producers. We heard stories of a lady in white at one of them. Not a lot of the antebellum mansions seem to be haunted. Now, we went to two different locations in town and got to go inside. We stopped outside of where their police department is now, and the courthouse is across the street. And outside of the courthouse is where they used to do the public hangings. And of course, as we've mentioned before, it's similar to other hangings we've talked about where it was a big affair and the families would come out and bring picnics and the children to watch. Then they built a new jail, which is right next door to where the police department was. And they decided we're going to take the hangings inside. So they would hang people inside there. Approximately 300 people were hanged there. Today now, that building is an office building. So we got to go inside, and Carla took us up the stairs to death row. And there were several cells that were sitting there, very small, basically a toilet and not even room for a bed, really. And right when we walked in, there was a red square, and she said, whatever you do, don't step on the square. So I thought, oh, maybe it's a haunted thing, right? But no. 
that happened to be the drop floor for the hangings. And then she said, look up, take these flashlights and shine them up. And there was this huge hook up there, which is what they would wrap the noose around. And then she goes, look over by the wall. And there was a huge lever, which would be what would release the door. So even though it's an office building today, and it has a whole bunch of offices and office furniture in there, on that level right there still has the cells and still has all the hanging implements right there. And the cells were right in the room where the hangings took place, so you could watch the other people on death row get hung before it was your time. Kind of similar to watching them build the gallows for you. You just know what's coming, so I can't imagine being in that room and experiencing that firsthand. So Carla said, you know, when we come in here, we tend to get quite a bit of activity. So she tried to do the flashlight thing, which most of you, if you recall episode 200, we talked about how they would just take a flashlight and you just kind of unscrew it to just where it turns off and then you put it down and she put the K2 meter there. And then she asked, is anybody here? Anybody interested in talking to us? And we didn't get any responses or anything like that. Denise took some pictures. Then she goes, well, let's go down to the other jail. So that was death row. So we go down to what the main jail was. And this was a little bit bigger cells, but not much. And I walked into one of them, and it has the toilet that was right in the middle. And then on either side, there was a bed that was kind of up at head level. And just not, I mean, you barely could stand between the two beds. So basically, you'd either be in bed or you could kind of stand between them. Maybe they had some chairs that they would set up underneath. I'm not sure. She said, we usually get a lot of responses down here, too, especially with the flashlight turning on. She goes, one time, they brought a 10-year-old boy in there. He really, really wanted to see a ghost or experience a ghost in some way. So she put the flashlight up and... Nothing was happening. So she explained to whoever seems to be haunting there. This little 10-year-old boy came a long way, and he sure would like to have an experience. And she goes, and wouldn't you know what? That flashlight turned on, and she said that little boy about (laughs) undid himself in his pants, and he was out of there. She goes, I bet he'll never forget that moment. And I looked at her, and I said, you know what? There's going to be some time in the future. He's going to be talking to somebody like me who loves to ask people, how did you get into the paranormal? What did it? And that's going to be the experience that he's going to say, well, this one time I was in a jail and the flashlight turned on and I've been fascinated by it ever since. So then we tried to do the flashlight and the K2 thing. Nothing's happening. And, you know, Denise and I, usually we don't have anything happen on these ghost tours. So we're not expecting anything. We just think it's cool that we get to go in. And Denise is taking pictures all over the place. And she was getting a lot of weird streaks in her pictures. We tried looking to see if there were a bunch of bugs because it it seemed to us like there'd have to be a lot of bugs to be getting these weird streaks. We didn't see any, but maybe they were small enough that we couldn't see them, but there was enough light picking them up. But Carla goes into that jail all the time and she's gotten similar pictures, but she said never to the extent of what I was getting. So we could have either gotten a lot of activity or I don't know, but I purposely was taking the flashlight around trying to catch bugs in its beam and I could not find any. So... We're not sure if that was anything, you know, pictures, eh. But we'll go ahead and post a few of them, see what you guys think of it. So we thought, okay, well, we've been in here long enough. Let's go ahead and go. So Carla says, if you'll just, you know, grab the flashlight and we'll go ahead and head on out of here. Too bad. Wish you would have done something. I reached to grab for the flashlight and it comes on. So I went, oh, and I'm holding it. And I looked at Carla and I'm like, "Uh, the flashlight just came on. And I'm thinking in my mind, Maybe I touched the head of the flashlight and moved it just enough that it turned itself on because that's the way I am. So then we start to walk out and I'm just leaving it on and I moved my hand kind of down a little bit. Well, all of a sudden it turned off. 
And so I said, uh, well, I didn't turn that off. And she said, okay, pretty cool. So then we start walking out of the jail and I said, hey, you know, it was really nice. Thanks for turning the flashlight on for us. We're going to go now. And I'm holding the very end of the flashlight and all of a sudden it comes back on again. And so Denise was standing there and she got to see it this time. I said, Denise, the flashlight had turned on again. And then it turned itself off. But as it was turning itself off, it was doing the whole kind of wavering, like getting brighter and then dimmer and brighter and dimmer. And then it just dimmed, 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 dimmed until it was out. But Diane, didn't it do it when you asked it to turn it off? That I don't remember. I don't remember if I asked him to turn it off or not. I might be wrong, but it seems to me either the on or the off, you would actually ask and it came on right on your command. That's when I was like, "Uh uh-oh. I wish we'd taken video of it because I can't remember now because I was just in awe because what I explained to Carla was the only other time that we had seen this happen in person was when we had done the ghost tour in Orlando and we were in a bar and he'd set it down and it was away from us. I never got to handle the flashlight. I don't know. Maybe they can rig these things and maybe that's where he always sets it and there's some kind of a magnet system or something. I kind of believed it was going on and kind of didn't. The fact that I was the only person handling this flashlight and I knew I wasn't screwing around with it, I still thought, you know, I've seen the science stuff. I know somebody in the Spooktacular crew had posted something from How Stuff Works that explained the science behind the flashlight working. And I thought maybe it's the moisture in my hands, electrical activity from myself, something like that had turned it on. So I tested it again later. The flashlight did not react. So I don't know, but I tested it later just to see, and I didn't get the same kind of reaction. I grabbed it in the exact same way to see if I could even like jostle it to turn on. I don't know. I kind of had a feeling like something was playing with the flashlight. And I thought it was interesting that it waited until we're like, okay, fine, we're leaving. And then it was almost like it was like, no, no, wait, don't go. Because then we stayed for a little bit longer and then, then we finally left. The other place that we went into was called King's Tavern. This was an old uh, bar. And actually, this one only Diane went into because little Fuzzy Butt couldn't go in. But they let her go into the jail with us. Yeah, we were trying to entice the ghost in the jail to interact with us because we're like, hey, we have a dog with us. We? Okay, well, me and Carla (laughs) were saying we got a dog with us. Do you want to pet the dog? Okay, so King's Tavern is named for Richard King. He came out from New York to Natchez in the mid-18th century. In 1789, he bought King's Tavern. It had been built about 20 years earlier, and it's made out of sun-dried bricks, hand-hewn cypress clapboards, barge boards from flatboats that had been dismantled and were sold all over Natchez. So all of that was used in the construction, and it's kind of in a blockhouse form. I was just amazed. I mean, obviously, they've had to replace some of the wood and restore it, But just the fact that this thing had been standing there since 1789. It had three floors, and we were told that it was haunted by a woman named Madeline. And a portrait of Madeline used to hang above the fireplace at King's Tavern. And it might still be there, but I didn't see it. People who would stay at the inn and uh, have a drink, maybe stay overnight, Andrew Jackson, Aaron Murr, and the Hart brothers were there as well. There are bullet holes in the heavy wooden doors, so there was obviously some shooting that went on there. Now, Madeline was a beautiful 16-year-old girl, and she was hired by the King family as a server. And of course, you probably know the story. We've heard it many times. The man of the house became enamored with her. The wife got very jealous about the whole situation, 
And somewhere along the line, Madeline disappeared. We don't know if Richard took care of her, if his wife took care of her, but she just disappeared. Well, what they came to find out is that her corpse was stored in the chimney that was down on the main floor. And the reason why they know that is in 1930, they were doing some restoration to the chimney and the construction workers tore it apart and they made the grisly discovery. And what was even more interesting about it, how they knew this was the body of someone who'd been murdered, is there was a very, very pretty jeweled dagger and it was still in the corpse. Now, apparently she still haunts this location and it's a pretty convincing haunting. The thing that was the most convincing about it for me is that Carla had told us that they had caught on security camera. There's this little refrigerator that's underneath the bar. Probably one of those things you guys, when you're in a hotel room and they have a refrigerator in the hotel room, about the same size. They keep wine and things like that in there that they might need. Well, the security camera one night caught the door of that refrigerator opening and closing. They came in the next morning and the owner was talking to me about this story and he said, I was really upset because I thought an employee had left it open and they had one particular employee that had been screwing up enough that he was on his way out and he thought, okay, this is the final straw. We're going to check out the security footage. We're going to catch him leaving it open and that'll be it. He's fired. So they're watching the security footage. There is nobody in the bar at all and he showed me the video and I'm sitting here watching the video. And that refrigerator door opened real slow, just as if somebody was opening it. And again, it's like a refrigerator door in your hotel room. So those things don't just snap open or easily open. I mean, you have to give them a little bit of a tug to get them to open. And you can see it kind of gets this little tug and then it just opens real slowly all the way open and then just stays that way. So I was like, whoa. And I'm talking to the owner. He's like, honest to goodness, we didn't rig it. This is not us doing it. He goes, we were shocked when we watched the footage and he goes uh well it wasn't the employee it was something else carla told me you go on up to the third floor and here take the k2 and the flashlight and have at it so i said okay i'll go up there and tempt the spirit (laughs) oh diane so i set the k2 down and the flashlight down and i was just wandering around they had signs around and pictures and stuff and so i was reading and looking at things and every so often i'd ask a question and i said you know you probably get tired of people saying madeline are you here Can you light up the lights if you're here? So I just was making regular talk. Like, this is a really nice house. And I wonder, did you like working here? I don't know that I would want to work here. And then there was this guy who's messing with you and the wife doing what she did. It's just horrible what happened to you. Feel really bad about it. Nothing's happening. So I did that for about 10 minutes. And I'm like, you know what? Denise is out in the car with Tiana. I'm done. You know, there's probably nothing happening here. So this is when I tested the flashlight. So I went over and I picked the flashlight up exactly the way I picked it up over in the jail. Nothing happened. It didn't turn on. I held it and said, again, can you turn the flashlight on? Can you turn it off? Anything? Da-da-da. Nothing happened. So I'm like, okay. So I turn the flashlight off and I start heading for the stairs. At the top of the stairs is this big picture of this beautiful woman. And I thought it was a picture of Madeline. Later on, I found out they're not sure who it is, that they don't think it's Madeline in the picture. But I talk to the picture (laughs) as if it was Madeline. Well, what happened is I'm getting to the top of the stairs and the K2, for people who don't know what it looks like, you have green, light green, yellow, orange, and red. Well, it had kept getting a little bit of light green every so often when I was up in the room, but I really don't make that out too much. I'm like, it could just be some kind of electrical, whatever. 
Well, it went to yellow when I got to the top of the stairs and it hadn't done anything when I was coming up the stairs. So I'm like, okay. I said, well, I'm going to go downstairs because that's where all the people are at because upstairs there was nobody there. You know, would you like to go down and hang out with the people downstairs? And it goes up to yellow again. I'm like, okay, well, maybe something's going on. So I said, okay, well, let's go downstairs. So I start to go down the stairs and there's a little landing that's right next to the picture. So then I decide to start talking about the picture and I said, is this a picture of you, Madeline? And I'm like, you were very beautiful and I, I love the dress. And in the picture, the woman has her hair. It's black and it's kind of done up in a, you know, ladies, when you have long hair and you throw it up on top of your head and then you put a pin through it to hold it up. Well, it was this really cool looking spiraled ended pin. And I said, that's a really cool pin in that hair. And all of a sudden the K2 went to red. And I was like, okay. And I went, D do you like the pin? And it goes to red again. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting some kind of response here. As I'm doing this, I'm like holding it up around the picture because I'm trying to figure out, is there something maybe electrical behind the picture that I'm picking up? And I'm not getting it picking up anything. It's not going anywhere. And I said, well, I really like your pin. I think it's beautiful. And then it started to kind of go to yellow. And then I really didn't get much response after that. But I was like, whoa, that was weird. And then after it stopped responding, I, I put it all around again. I held it over here. I mean, I was trying to test everything because I'm thinking there's got to be a, an electric panel somewhere or something. I held it up towards the light. I was getting nothing. So anything to fire it up to red. And as most people know, a K2 doesn't generally hit red unless you're either right next to an electrical box or something else is giving it some kind of a signal. So I went downstairs and I asked the bartender and that's how I found out it was not a picture of Madeline. But I said, is there anything electrical behind that picture that's on the stairs? And she said, well, I just started working here, but as far as I know, no. The owner didn't say that there was anything back there. And uh, there was a black woman who was standing at the bar and she said, people get readings and weird stuff all the time. Well, when I told them, well, I was talking about, there's like a pin in her hair up there. And I said, the minute I started talking about that pin, it went to red. So whatever the connection was with the pin in that picture, somebody either really liked it or really hated it or I don't know. And so they thought that was pretty interesting. So I felt like we had a couple of possible experiences that evening. So that was very cool. Then we got to go and see the outside of all the mansions at night. And that was a lot of fun. One of the worst stories that we heard that doesn't have a ghost connected to it is Miss Nellie. Anybody who knows anything about Natchez has probably heard about Miss Nellie. Yeah, she was actually very revered and respected in the community. However, her profession was one that you would not think would give her the respect that she got if she ran a service to take care of some of the locals. But she had two very, very, very strict rules. Is none of her clients could come after midnight and they could not be drunk. So she was running a business. They kind of looked the other way because she was very, she took care of a lot of things within the community. Like she would help people. She would take care of needs if people had them. She would help them with their businesses. So she was just an all around good person. And then one night somebody showed up. She heard this loud banging on the door and it was well after midnight. And she went down and it was one of local college student from Old Miss. And so he was drunk. It was after midnight. And so she turned him away. And he demanded that she would take care of him. And she shut the door in his face and said, no, she wouldn't. Well, in his drunken rage, he went down to the local gas station and he got gasoline, went back, was pounding on the door. And when she opened it, he doused her in gasoline and then lit the match. 
her house was burned. She was burned to death. 100% of her body, I believe, is what Carla said. He died in the fire as well. But I was looking for hauntings, and there was no hauntings. But I just wanted to give tribute to her because nobody deserves to die like that. And they gave her a proper burial and everything, even though she might have been in a profession that wasn't looked upon kindly but she was such a great woman in their community that they they took care of her after death and this isn't an old story she was probably somewhere in her 80s i can't remember exactly but i know she was over 80 when this happened and it happened in 1993 i believe is what carla had said so this was a pretty recent story and she said the house had been pretty much just left abandoned but like a week before we went to go look at it they'd slapped a coat of white paint on it so she goes maybe they're trying to refurbish it before we got into Natchez, we stopped overnight in Pensacola, and we got to go see a fort out there. We're currently working on a video for that one, too, for the executive producers. It was very cool to walk through there. And it, of course, is haunted, so we'll be bringing that to you guys. Pensacola was nice. Everything's been kind of chilly and rainy. We had to set up the camper when it was completely soaked rain. <laughs> we, uh, we got very wet doing that, but uh, we're having a good time so far. And we got to go to the lighthouse in Pensacola, which is haunted and also extremely beautiful. And yes, I did get my stamp. You've gotten more than just that stamp. You got your lighthouse stamp there, but how many other stamps have you gotten so far? Well, I got the state park um, for Pensacola because we stayed at the state park there. And then I also got one for Natchez Trace Parkway. I got Natchez National Historic Site. I got the the National Seashore up near Gulf Shore Island National Seashore. And I think that that is it. So tonight we're heading into Houston. We'll be spending the night here. And then tomorrow we'll be off to San Antonio for a few days and get to see the Alamo and all the great stuff out there and meet some of our listeners. Tonight we're going to go to dinner with Kathleen Shanahan Maka, who joined us on the Hotel Galvez episode. So we're going to enjoy meeting her face to face. That'll be fun. And we also get to hang out with one of my very, very dear long-term friends, Patsy. want to thank you guys for listening to this little road trip episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye.